0: Hello, I'm Jim Ford.
1: And I'm Dan Kurtzke.
0: And this is The Lantern Cast. Episode 8. This is going to be our big catch-up on Green Lantern core.
1: Yeah, we haven't really spoken about this much, if at all, on the show up to this and It's kind of a shame, because this is a good book. Absolutely. For those who don't know, uh, in addition to the regular Green Lantern series starring Hal Jordan, DC has a second Green Lantern book that follows an ensemble cast of two human lanterns, Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner, and just whatever alien lanterns they happen to be around at the time.
0: It's awesome. Yes,
1: it's it's really, it's an entertaining book. Have you been reading this since it started up? Yes, I have. Now, now, we won't spend too much time talking about how the book was before the Sinestro War, because it's it's well into its 30s now, and we're not going to dissect this thing issue by issue. Yeah, But suffice to say that it's a different book now than it was before the war.
0: I would agree to that.
1: Yeah, before beforehand, it was almost an anthology. You had your main feature every month about Guy Gardner and whoever he happened to be working with at the time. And that would continue issue to issue. And at the same time, you would have, you know, a few pages of Saranic Natu doing something, and a few pages of Isamad and Vath doing something, and it would just continue like that, and they would throw in Mogo here and there, and the Green Man here and there. Whereas afterwards, in the era where now, they've kind of more settled on a cast.
0: It also seems to have, like, a more serious tone now.
1: I, th- I forget where it was. I th- it was probably in Nuzarama where they interviewed Peter J. Tomasi, who I think he was the editor on this book before he became the writer. Right. And he said something like, now that they're coming out of the war, the Green Lantern Corps is going to be more, not I don't want to say more formal, but more... Battle-worn? Yeah, more like a military unit kind of thing instead of just roving space superheroes. Right. Do you, I mean, Do you get that feeling from it now when you read it?
0: I, I, I absolutely have, absolutely. I I really did enjoy it when it started, also. But you know, as the book has evolved, I'm I'm still enjoying it just as much, if not more.
1: It's very easy to look at this and think of it. Oh, that's the secondary Green Lantern book, but the main Green Lantern book by Jeff Johns and Ivan Re- Rice. Reese. Reese. I don't. I don't think that's what we said last. <laughs> Ivan <been> Reese. <laughs> Ivan Reese you don't even really know. That's just what you guessed. Uh, but yeah, those those dudes, every now and then there will be a month where there isn't a regular Green Lantern issue, just because. And as long as Green Lantern Core comes out, I don't feel like I'm missing out, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point. Um, when Green Lantern Core comes out, or Green Lantern, like, I'm at the comic shop, you know, that day to pick up the issue.
1: I guess, speaking of Tomasi becoming the writer... Okay. What do you think of the creative transition on the book, where, I guess more specifically, as the series changed post Sinestro War, how do you feel about the creative change with the writing, with the art, with Tomasi and Gleason?
0: Well, um, when, uh, what issue did, uh, did th- this new team come on?
1: Was... Oh, I don't know. It was the f- it was the very first issue after the war. That was I'm trying to go to comic book
0: DB. Da 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 da
1: Issue 20. Let me just make sure they're credited on here. That's not Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah, issue 20 looks like they're Unless it was nineteen. <laughs>
0: um well, Patrick Gleason is uh
1: Yeah, nineteen it looks like nineteen was their first together. No, it was eighteen. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is what okay, yeah. Dave Gibbons finished the book with issue seventeen and then it was Tomasi writing as of eighteen, which is the the uh Ion Superboy Prime fight.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't realize that either. That's interesting that they changed over right in the middle of the uh, the war.
1: Yeah, well, that that's surprising because that was a fairly seamless change. Because I didn't like I had assumed that Gibbons was writing all the way until the war chapters ended.
0: You know, I I guess that that makes sense as far as like if you want a smooth transition than like right in the middle of a war where like people are so consumed with all the fighting and everything like that and you were going for a different style of the book after the war anyway, That that's that's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, Mystic Chaos. What I think is also cool now that I think about it is this is the first time we had ever gotten inside Sodom Yat's head, so it's like we don't really have any basis of comparison for alright, this is how Gibbons writes his inner monologue because this was the first time we really got any of that, and it was Tomasi, so it wasn't glaring as a change, you
0: know? Right, yeah, no, definitely.
1: So, that being said, their first story arc outside of that war
0: was Ring (laughs) Quest.
1: Yeah, now, maybe. Maybe you feel differently, (laughs) but I thought that was horrible. Really? It is. I mean. I I appreciate that they got all of the main characters al- almost all of the main characters in the same spot doing something together for once. And I did appreciate that hey, we got a great big series of fight scenes over six issues or so. And I and and I will go on record as saying Mongol is one of my favorite DC villains overall cuz he's pretty much the one that got me into comics. But this was uh mm like Patrick Gleason's art, like I've never had a problem with it, but it just got so muddied and and between all the alien environments and all the energy flying everywhere, I I got it got to a point where I couldn't always tell what was going on and and I I'm going to chalk this up to Tomasi not having written the book very long because he just didn't like the characters didn't sound like themselves. There were entire pages where it almost didn't matter who the word balloons were pointing at.
0: Well, <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. This is not exactly the freshest thing in my mind. Yeah, it goes back a while. So, like, I can't say for certain. Um, What I can remember, I enjoyed the concept of the story, definitely.
1: Oh, yeah, and there were some really... Like, as I was reading this story, it cemented in my head that, that um, Peter J. Tomasi has an excellent grasp for high-concept sci-fi with a twinge of horror. There was a two-page spread in there where there was like six or however many, eight lanterns that were on this living planet that, not Mogo, like a bad one, and they were just being attacked by it, and this thing was, it was changing its landscape to try and hit them with itself, it was altering its own gravity so they could barely stay in the air, it was it was raining down corpses on them. It's, this is a kind of weird sci-fi crap. That Green Lantern should be ha- be dealing with, and I love that. And it's he has just a twinge of horror to it and gore to it. That it's, it seems appropriate for what they're doing. you know?
0: Yeah, like I, I definitely can't remember the art in terms of a negative. Um, I definitely remember parts that I did like, uh, like with the the two-headed. Sinestro Corps member that split itself in two.
1: Yeah, they kept fighting over the ring.
0: <laughs> like that—that that was awesome. Um, just like the whole Black Mercy planet, which factors into my Indigo Lantern theory.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I mean hell—if you're even half right about the stuff you say about um, about the Black Mercy and its relation to the Indigo Corps then that story arc is definitely going to be important because it sets up all that. But
0: Yeah, and I, I think that that may actually cloud my judgment in terms of, you know, where this stands because of the fact that they introduced the whole Black Mercy and really expanded it a lot more than basically it was just a plant used to, you know, make people think different things or whatever.
1: And now I'm thinking about maybe, I I probably also got a little... I don't want to say bored with it, but may have wanted more out of it since they just kind of arbitrarily left that story to tell a two-issue Alpha Lantern story and write during that arc.
0: Yeah, that that I I can see where you're coming from on that one. Um the uh the Alpha Lantern story was terrible. <laughs> Not terrible. No, I, I, and I won't say terrible because like, you know, I can keep on reading these books and I don't Know that I've ever come across any of them that are you know terrible, well, except for maybe one and we've already mentioned that in the past
1: <laughs> really <laughs> um guy Gardner cough cough guy Gardner. <coughs> hey uh, what how's your car doing again? you got a little uh collateral damage yeah there was, there, there was there? A, little, a little
0: collateral damage there,
1: yeah, but it was just. I mean, they made a big deal about the Alpha Lantern showing up in the the regular Green Lantern series. So, at the same time they di- they just injected a two-issue Alpha Lantern story into Green Lantern core and it didn't fit. It interrupted the flow of what else was going on and the two-issue story didn't actually end. They just kind of stopped. Yeah, that's that's weird. I'm kind of glad they haven't reprinted it anywhere. <laughs> but coming off of that ring quest story was I was actually a little surprised that they completely changed the creative team they went to um actually let me advance this episode is sponsored by comic book tv not really
0: uh Luke Ross
1: Luke Ross with Tomasi oh still Tomasi writing yeah yeah really yes alright well Apparently, wow. Because, I, honestly, I did not realize until right now that Pierre Tomasi wrote those two issues. I thought he had taken a break from it as well. But the point I was going to make was that it was like Tomasi and, and uh, Gleason took those two months and kind of got their act together a little bit because <laughs> cause when they came back with 29, it's like they were firing on all cylinders. And I figured, okay, it's good that they gave us this this two-issue breather.
0: Your entire point has been t- shot to hell. I know. Well, what did you think of uh, Luke Ross's art? Did he just do the covers, or was he the interiors, too? He was the interiors, actually. The covers were by, uh, uh was it Miliari? Yeah, the covers are beautiful. Yes. Every
1: now and then I'll see covers that make me wish I was the guy at DC who's in charge of deciding what gets made into a poster. And if I could get upward shot of Guy and Kyle with the big reflective eyes above them, that would be, like, I would love to see that just blown up.
0: Uh, you know, I could definitely see down the road them putting together, like, one of those portfolio packages where it just has, like, a bunch of prints from miliari, his covers are absolutely beautiful
1: um but the the interior art I liked it i like i mean it was it's such a departure from Gleason
0: absolutely
1: like it's it's more it's almost more your your traditional comic art and like and the coloring is more I it's it's almost like when you have a Patrick Gleason drawn page there's so much going on in the background and the, like around the characters and coming off the characters whereas this guy he drew it with a lot more open space and not like he just wanted to save time or anything like that. When
0: I see, you know, Luke Ross's art, it it like you said, it it's very much more like a traditional comic art um it's it's definitely it's very good. I like it a lot. Any any comic out there, you know, he can do a solid job. Whereas with Patrick Gleason, he has the very, very distinct style.
1: Do you know an artist? I'm assuming this is just a pen name who goes by Crisscross? Cross. Yes. Sometimes when I'm reading a Gleason-drawn book, I kind of get that vibe from them, because they both have this very flashy way of portraying stuff that, you know, when they really get going, it can sometimes get a little hard to tell what's happening exactly in the panel, but then it'll immediately go back to being awesome again. Yeah,
0: actually, uh, this is something that I had mentioned to you that I'm, I'm starting to pick up now. There are some times where Patrick Gleason will draw something, and... It will be, like, just amazingly beautiful. And then he'll go and draw something else, which is just, like, chaos and, you know, almost, like, ugly. Like, you know, right for a perfect, perfect example, issue 29 of Green Lantern Corps, you have... Um,
1: I know where you're going. <laughs>
0: yeah. You have uh, Carrot and Miri on their honeymoon in space. And... Yeah, just look at Miri and she's drawn very cute, very pretty. Um, carried, you know, like a big, you know, bulky guy, just drawn happy and it's just such a pleasant thing to look at. And later on, basically she wants to die and instead of dying, she becomes a star sapphire. And the transformation is just this absolutely hideous transformation, like there's jagged spikes coming out of her, her hand, she's like crying crystals, like you can see the crystals in her teeth, you know, it's gross, the the final, like the, the last transformation scene, you see every single one of her teeth, you see just these wide open white eyes, it's, as you've mentioned in the past, like that, that horror-esque type look, and you know, it's just, Totally, totally hideous. And then the very next panel, you see her after the transformation and she's pretty and beautiful again. And when I had first you know, taken a look at this, I said to myself, it's like, well, oh my God. It's like, can he be consistent and just make everything look beautiful? And now I'm starting to realize that that's the point that He's making these things look horrible and and not pretty to emphasize the fact that these things that are happening are not pretty and beautiful. This is like a horrible transformation. And a girl that is so beautiful in the beginning has to go through this horrible transformation, but is eventually beautiful on the other side of the transformation as well. So I think that's like that's definitely to his credit.
1: Actually, I think the first time you saw it, What you said was she looks kind of like a monkey.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so way way back when, when I uh, had mentioned this to you.
1: Back in the day.
0: (laughs) Yes, back when this first came out.
1: I I definitely agree that he can, when he wants to get across the the beauty of a character, he can absolutely do it. Like, earlier in this issue, I even jotted down this page because I wanted to mention it, there's the scene where Guy and Ice are having this romantic dinner hovering over Oa, yes, and this just that the third panel on that page, where it's just kind of a close up of her face as she's looking at him, that look on her face and like the light as it's reflecting in her eyes it's like like I want someone who's real to look at me like this like this is awesome, and then <laughs> what's funny is he immediately contrasts it. With, like, two panels later, this horrific squid creature thing is, like, calling Guy over his ring, and you see it just, like, tentacles going everywhere. And, you know,
0: just like I was saying before, you go, like, two more pages later, two or three more pages, and you have her, like, totally angry, and once again, it's like, well, that that cuteness, that beauty that he was drawing before now it's drawn with like this pure anger and the beauty's gone you know like where she's like slamming the table down and freezing everything on the table
1: yeah definitely now that i'm flipping through this issue especially is filled with like just contrasting like love and hate life and death yeah because i mean i mean look the scene like miri was ready to let herself die and then the the violet ring comes along and gives her a new lease on life. And then you turn the page, and it's Sarek talking to a big mound of dead people. <laughs> and then and and what's Miri's whole mission is to spread love. And you've got Gaia and Ice. You know,
0: look, it, they're on the rocks now. Yes. What What did you think of that? That mound of dead people.
1: I kind of wonder why it was just kind of there was a mound of dead people floating around space, but...
0: <laughs> well, my, my my question is, like, why can't they die? Like, why are they stuck in this, you know...
1: Did one of them say it was their ship or something?
0: Yes. The int... Well, they say the intense heat of an object the size of a colossal hand brushed past us. And apparently now, like, their spirits cannot be released from, you know, the wreckage.
1: I took it... I assumed it was, um... Because you always hear about, like, oh, ghosts can't move on if they have unfinished business or this or that. I thought it was something like that. Hmm. They just want to be creepy. Yeah. yeah. They're jerks. <laughs> They're dead jerks.
0: Uh, what about this lantern, Simon Terrence from Sector 2515?
1: Yeah, I was wondering, because I don't... I think he, show, he showed up again in 33. Right. But he's... like I mean, is he supposed to be significant or something? Because he, he... I thought he would come back more often.
0: Well, he is our neighbor, apparently. Oh, well. He seems friendly enough. Twenty-five,
1: fifteen, one One sector over. He's just randomly psychic, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He seems nice enough. I'd like to have him as a neighbor. <laughs> uh, Let's see. One other note I have in here is like... In 29 and 30, you really start to see that the Guardians are you know, they're not just being preventive anymore, they're actively pushing for conflict. Yes. Because you got Scar is provoking the other Guardians, and in 30, you know, the, you have the Guardians basically provoking the the Zamaron Queen. And, uh, oh, something I definitely want to, considering what we were just talking about, something I want to draw your attention to, In the around the middle of issue 30, Okay where, you know, the big argument is starting to heat up. There is this page where, you know, it's, it's the page right before they see the uh, Sinestro Corps members captured and in crystal.
0: Oh, okay. The page right
1: before that? Yeah. The top panel? Yes. Look at Look at Scar. That is the ugliest face I have ever seen, especially... I mean, the guardians—they're old, they're wrinkly, but they never look like this. Gee.
0: Yeah. Well, you see, that's 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 a big thing, and that, like you said, we've seen the guardians drawn a lot of different ways, but the way that Patrick Gleason is drawing them, their their cheeks are like sagging, almost like bloated politicians, like these ugly, angry, and you know, fearful. It's funny because, you know, as they're trying to stop these emotions, it's because they're afraid of losing their power and they're angry at these other cores for existing.
1: And it's just, I mean, this panel specifically, it's like he's drawing Scar's age, you know? Because you can almost forget, like, I mean, being a sci-fi fan, you can take for granted the concept of, like, a universal elder kind of character. Yeah. But... I mean, especially since, like, if you had to assign a human age to them just by looking at them if you didn't know who they were or their backstory, you'd probably say, like, they were in their, like, 80s or something. Because or <laughs> si- <laughs> they, look, they look, they're
0: they still pretty smooth. <laughs> Turn down that space music.
1: Oh, something else I wanted to, to draw your attention to. I think I'm saying that a lot today. Um, you know how we were kind of down on the Alpha Lanterns because they haven't really done anything with them?
0: Um. Basically, yeah. Yeah, at
1: that same page, I was looking at the bottom panel. There, you know, the queen and the one guardian are just trading verbal abuse at this point. And she comments on, you know, you know how you condemn me or whatever. You created the freaking Alpha Lantern, and he says the Alpha Lanterns have another purpose well beyond your sort short sightedness. And and then she just cuts them off. So. And they never reference that again. So that makes me wonder, like, is there an actual plan for the Alpha Lanterns now that we have them?
0: Well, that's a possibility, but by the same token, um, that may be, like... Well, okay. The concept of the Alpha Lanterns was, like, co-created by uh, Morrison, Grant Morrison, because he wanted to use them in Final Crisis. So... This issue came out before, you know, the Final Crisis thing came out, so it, it kind of makes me wonder if they didn't throw that line in, like, okay, Grant Morrison wanted these created for his storyline, you know, we don't really care about them, but you know, let's make a passing reference because you know maybe something really big will happen to them in Final Crisis. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I don't know though, cause. That would kind of require DC to be in a state where, like, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. I'm under the impression that Dan DiDio and whatever editors needed to be involved knew what Grant Morrison was going to use the Alpha Lanterns for in Final Crisis.
0: Well, I mean, it would be very nice to to believe that, but the the, the just looking at what happened with Countdown to Final Crisis, they very clearly, you know had no idea what was going to be happening in Final Crisis when they were coming up with Countdown.
1: I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt until... I mean, if if we get through Black as Night and the Alpha Lanterns don't even really, like, do anything special, then um, then definitely, but...
0: Yeah, because, I mean, not to mention, like, the Alpha Lanterns... Like, he here's my biggest problem with the Alpha Lanterns, and... This is referencing the Rage of the Red Lanterns going on over in the Green Lantern book. When the Red Lanterns came in to, you know, destroy everybody and steal Sinestro, you had, um, you had Barika, definitely. I don't know if you had anybody else.
1: There was, um, I want, I forget how his, say his name, Chaslin? He's the big crystal ball guy with tentacles. And a mohawk.
0: Okay, so you had two Alpha Lanterns there, and not only did we not see what they did at all, we have no idea what even happens when an Alpha Lantern tries to fight a Red Lantern, but aside from that, shouldn't they be extra powerful and not have any emotions? And and yet they were apparently incapacitated, maybe, because we don't even know what happened to them.
1: Yeah, we don't actually see them on panel again, I don't think.
0: So, you know what's going on with that. If they were really going to use these, then, you know,
1: I know I like to think that yes, they were they were created by Grant Morrison for his own story. And yes, DC just kind of dropped them on the Green Lantern writers saying, oh, hey, guess what? You have this now. And I'd like to think that maybe it's Jeff Johns, maybe, maybe it's Tomasi, maybe it's both of them have something in mind in the form of, well, we have these characters now that Grant Morrison created them. Let's do this with them
0: down the road. I can see Jeff Johns coming up with something, you know, some some way to use them later on down the road but i mean like right now i don't see i don't see any point for them and i don't see them being used in, in any good way or anything it's like it's like what is it the fist of the guardians
1: that was the uh yeah back in um the emerald dawn 2 yes, yes. yeah they showed up exactly one time
0: <laughs> they they were, they were in that series for like what two issues
1: yeah they were um Anybody who doesn't know, back when, um, this was like right after the Crisis on Infinite Earths, where they were, I guess, retelling Hal's origin, that was Emerald Dawn. And then they did a follow up miniseries called Emerald Dawn 2 that covered the downfall of Sinestro. And the Guardians had these, I think there's three robots. They all dressed exactly like Guy Gardner for some reason.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: And they're just these not quite Manhunter, Green Lantern robots that. Went around firing green energy, and they chased Sinestro, and they beat him up in a barn, I think. <laughs> and then they were never seen or heard of or referenced ever again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if the Alpha Lanterns are gonna take that route. Yeah,
1: I mean they've already popped up enough times that that I mean if they wanted us to just forget them, I don't think they would have used them as much as they have, even though it's been sparingly.
0: Well. They haven't really used them since Final Crisis. Well, they had um.
1: Oh wait, no. Rage was during Final. Car- right. No, no. Let's see. I'm I'm gonna go with the default answer of Blackest Night. <laughs> it's in Blackest Night.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that would make sense in that as a Alpha Lantern, they're you know they don't have any emotions basically anymore.
1: And they're such a perfect example of why everything the Guardians. Are doing is wrong and why it won't work, and it would be a shame to throw
0: that away. It it would be nice though to to see them used, you know, in some decent way at all. All right, getting back to a little more positive.
1: Yes. Note here, a few pages later in this thing, where amni busts through and grabs that baby. This was like the hell yeah panel of the month for me when I read this thing. Just that shot of her, like crib who is this grotesque like scrawny you can see all of her bones you she's got no eyes it's long scraggly hair with giant teeth and there's a big cage growing bone cage growing out of her back where she keeps babies <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing and it's, it's so and then she, cribs holding this baby and amni just burst through, and she's just flying towards the reader, and she's grabbed this kid, and she, you see a zoomed-out shot of the sector house she just went through, and she just flew right the hell through the in, one end and out the other with this kid. It was like, oh, yeah!
0: Yeah, gotta agree with you on that one.
1: And this is where, like, the huge shift in writing quality really hit me, because, I mean, I mean, we'll go into this more in another issue, but this... Th- I mean, uh, this character has shown up maybe twice before this and has never really been a focus of a story and tomasi got me to care what happens to this character who i had never seen before and never even heard of before and yet you know i've i care what happens to him i if that's something that doesn't happen a lot
0: i think with this whole storyline i it, it wasn't bad at all it, it by no means was it bad um I think, though, during the whole storyline, while I was reading this, all I wanted was give me more Star Sapphire. I want to know more about them, I want to see them in action, you know, I want to see more of the other different cores. And I feel like, you know, we got quite a bit of Star Sapphire goodness in issue 30 and, you know, a little bit in the other issues. but it was a lot of green and yellow, you know, you have crib, you have mongol, you have the, the green lanterns fighting crib, you know, like that's, it it makes for an entertaining story, but by the same token, like when the thing that you want the most is, you know, more star sapphires and dying and dying and dying to find out what the heck is going on with the indigo lanterns. And all they're giving you is, you know, more yellow and green. Like, that's that's the thing that is keeping me from being able to just sit back and enjoy these for what they are.
1: At the same time, I'm really glad that the Sinestro Corps hasn't just gone away. I mean, honestly, if the Sinestro Corps war ended with the Yellow... I'm just going to call them Yellow Lanterns. With the Yellow Lanterns not being around anymore, like they all got wiped out or captured or whatever... That would have made just the books in general weaker, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's such an interesting concept, and I'm glad they're playing with it. And I think, like, that's... I mean, hell, like, I love this story. It's due in part because of, like, what an intense emotional reaction we got out of these characters based on their interaction with Crib that, like, while it would have been cool to see more different color lanterns sooner, I don't think this would have been able to play out the same way if they didn't use Crib specifically.
0: I guess, I mean, really, it, it's my problem because of the fact that I wanted, you know, more of the different colors faster. But I do like Crib as a villain. I think Crib was a great villain. And like you said, I definitely don't want to see the Yellow Lanterns go away anytime soon. It's just that I'd like to take a break from them, you know, and and explore some of these other Lanterns, especially when this storyline is Sins of the Star Sapphire. And it almost seems like, except for issue 30, a backup storyline to Green Lanterns versus Sinestro Corps.
1: I think they've just got to play it really carefully because I mean how often do we have we seen over the last year or whatever you know ever since pretty much ever since the emotional spectrum got introduced we've seen people like talk about Green Lantern and making references to like Power Rangers and Captain Planet I think they're trying not to just go full on well here's the red rings here's the blue rings oh here come the indigo rings and they're trying to to I'll, I don't, I don't want to say legitimize it, but show people that it's more about the stories they can tell with these different... Like, even if it is just primarily the green and yellow at this point, as opposed to just being, Hey, look, it's the next color. Look, now here comes the next one, too.
0: Isn't that awesome? Yay! But I mean, like, by the same token, it's not going to feel like, Oh, where's all the colored Power Rangers rolling around super fast if, say... You know, you take Sins of the Star Sapphire and actually tell stories about the Star Sapphires going out and helping people. Like if you made the storyline centralized around that core where all you're focusing on is for the most part just Star Sapphires with, you know, like some Green Lantern and, and, you know, maybe Sinestro core stuff going on in the background. That's something that I would have liked to see.
1: Something else to remember is that the Star Sapphire angle of this wasn't just Miri's story. You know, the sense of the Star Sapphire also encompasses the Green Lantern Guardian delegation to Zamaron, where you got to interact with the Star Sapphire's basically power structure. You got to see their home base for what was probably the first time, I think. And you got to see how they recruited their members, you got to see... You know how they f- basically force people into servitude, even though they s- seem to like it afterwards. And now, I'm just I'm just thinking as I talk here, but I think they they went sparingly on the violets on purpose. Like just how like Gleason knows when to draw someone ugly and draw someone beautiful. Right. There. I mean, this story, whether you're talking about the political side of it with that delegation or the in your face battle over, you know, um, Amnes baby. What we've got here is a story about Green Lanterns versus Yellow Lanterns doing their thing like they do, and here comes this new element of the Violet Lanterns. How is that going to change things on an administrative and on a battlefield level?
0: Hmm. That's true. That's that's a good point. I think I will. I would also have, I guess, uh, a better appreciation for this if later on Crib actually does make it, you know, to become a, a Star Sapphire. But also if Amni, Pre and Matu, if they, like, jump to different cores as well.
1: There are two that I actually hope don't. This story ends with um, the Guardians passing their next new law, which is you know, no physical or romantic relationships are allowed between members of the Green Lantern Corps. And Amni and Metu, who are married and have a child now, they give up their rings, they resign. And, you know, Kyle takes them home. And I think that's... Parmi wants to see them just go on with their lives.
0: So what you're saying is, as far as you're concerned, you would be perfectly happy if we just never see either never see them again or if we do just like show them being happy on a planet somewhere and you know that's it i i kind of my thoughts on it are like when you had said that here's a character who you know almost nothing about you know maybe she's popped up twice and all of a sudden you instantly care about that character once this storyline is over, you know, you're you're fairly invested with the two of them, you know, and their new baby. So to like not see them again, knowing how strong they believe in what they believe in, it almost seems like you spent all this time setting up this character, you know, why wouldn't you use it again?
1: I know, but at the same time it gave, it gave their story such a good ending. Yeah. That Gilms don't need to go any further with it. Because, I, mean, I mean, they're not going to choose serving in a Corps over their family. I mean, if something horrific happened and one of those three died or something, then I think you'd see them jump back in to one Corps or another. But I hope that's not the route they go.
0: The one thing that I can see possibly happening down the road is in... I, this is a... Uh a spoiler for issue 37 with Lara on the cover the Faces of Evil tie-in that's where Atrocitus makes this prediction about how Hal Jordan will become renegade once more and you see him just shooting energy and trying to take out all the Guardians and the Guardians are like shooting energy back at him now I think I mentioned on that episode that we talked about it episode thir- uh episode number seven for us how the only reason, the only way I could see that happening is if Hal is in a different core or if he's using white energy or something like that. Because aside from that, I can't see how just regular, like a regular Green Lantern ring powered by the Guardian's energy would be able to hurt the Guardians.
1: You think he eats the baby? What? What? Nothing. I didn't say
0: that. No. My other theory was that. Somehow he figures out how to internalize and use green energy that he collects himself, taking out the need of the Guardians. You know what I'm saying?
1: If he can learn how to do that, he can start teaching others and start to set up a new core that maybe they'll want to join. Exactly.
0: And then then I can see them coming back.
1: Yeah, all right, If right, I'll give you that. If if it goes that route, then I could see them coming back to it if, it, if they no longer had to be forced to choose between their family and the core. But at the same time, like depending on how long it takes how to do this, I could just as easily see them opting to just stay as normal people.
0: Yeah. We'll see.
1: I mean, until then, it's they they get like a nice happy ending which is rare in these books these days. <laughs> Again, a nod to Gleason here. I'm looking at the panel like the page where it's just Amni versus Crib, and she's just beating the crap out of Crib with the giant construct of her unborn baby.
0: Oh, yes, yes.
1: That bottom panel where she's clutching her stomach because all the stress is starting to induce premature labor, Yeah, and she's, like, the the sheer amount of emotion packed into this sequence, especially this panel, it's just so intense. You know, it's, it's like, this issue specifically is, like, like why I care about this character? It's just so, just good. She is literally fighting for her baby's life. She's at the point where I don't think she can even really
0: move herself. I think in that scene, the baby was also fighting.
1: Maybe yeah, because as if she's she's grabbing her her stomach and. I don't know if it's just reflection or if there, it's her stomach is glowing
0: green, too. Well, yeah, no, her stomach is definitely gr- glowing green because she's holding it with the hand that doesn't have a ring.
1: Nice little maternal bond right there. And, I mean, even the cliffhanger of, like, you know, the lanterns are brainwashed and Crib is about to cut her open and take the baby out. I mean, you know that it's not going to go down like that, but at the same time, it's like you want to know what happens to her. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, now now the next thing that we have to talk about, which I, I'm guessing you were probably about to go into. Yes. Yeah. Uh Kyle Rayner.
1: Absolutely. My notes I have found just the word Kyle in capital letters with a period after it. Yes,
0: yes. And that's because in issue thirty two we finally get Kyle Rayner back again. This is this is probably the best that Kyle has been written since uh rebirth (laughs) it's been it's been a while it's been a really really long time i you know i took issue with an issue uh yeah i took issue with an issue in issue 31 crib sprays these people with this you know mind controlling ooze and all of them are like out of commission just like that except for amni and it just it struck me as like now come on Kyle Rayner has gone through so much mind control and, you know, people trying to take over his willpower and everything like that so many times that by now, like, he really should be able to get over it a lot easier than anybody else. And when he just succumbs to it that fast, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show, but I definitely mentioned it to you how... You know that that didn't sit well with me.
1: This is just to interrupt you for a sec. I'm looking at the beginning of, of 31 again. The panel on page five, panel two. When I read this, I got such an old school, like 90s Green Lantern vibe from it.
0: The giant robot.
1: Yeah, because you got Kyle in the. Uh, he's inside one of his constructs as a giant robot. It's shooting guns and even just like the shape of his internal monologue boxes. It's like it's like a flashback to when he had his solo book.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm sorry, I interrupted you.
0: Yeah, well you just made me nostalgic. Yeah, so you know, I was pissed off about that in issue 31 but then we have issue 32 and like the book literally starts out with Kyle Rayner overcoming the mind control. And I love how Well, uh, what? Uh,
1: I keep doing that to
0: you. I'm sorry. No, you finish your thought. Well, no, no. What? What do you have to say? (laughs) Because you have enthusiasm behind it, so say it.
1: I love how they even they made a point of having Crib say like his mind, his willpower specifically is so strong it's freaking her out. She can feel him fighting her control to the point where it like he just shatters it love that
0: yeah yeah it's it's fantastic seeing kyle raynor you know overcome something that basically nobody else would be able to overcome
1: i mean this is the guy who was a one-man green lantern corps for a long time yeah this is the guy i mean this is a i almost said alpha lantern this is an honor guard this is like he's he should be one of the best
0: out there he comes up with a machine to get this uh, this ooze, this mind-control ooze out of everybody else's system. It's basically just really, really great seeing Kyle kick ass. And
1: even, like, right before that, how he has to immobilize three possessed lanterns that are all gunning for him. He has to do it without hurting them, and he has to do it efficiently. And it's just... I mean, this these two pages right here hit you with the fact that alright, this guy is really freaking good at this. He's a he's professional. He knows how to get this job done. That's just that's something his character's been missing.
0: Yeah, definitely. We get this really, really cool um visual of Miri, the star sapphire, going to where she needs to go, and apparently it's like a tether through the stars.
1: Now I thought you had said it might have been on our board but i thought you had said you didn't like that
0: well here here's how i feel about it this one scene where for one thing you have all this like flowery energy coming off of her that's that, that's a very cool visual but you know the tether is connected basically like goes springing across the universe you know on this this tether i think my my comments were along the lines of it's like well if that's how they're like, you know, constantly moving around the universe, trying to go where they need to go, you're going to see just a bunch of star sapphires flying across the universe like they've just been like, you know, ripped off a bungee cord or something like that. I said that, that, that could get a little weird, but I mean, like seeing it for the first time is pretty cool.
1: It'll probably only be if they have to find something really far away or something like that. I mean, presumably they can just fly freely
0: at like any sane I love this star this uh Star Sapphire Miri.
1: I know, I really like her. Like you got the feeling when she first showed up like, Oh, okay, she's gonna be I I wanna see more of her.
0: When I, I spoke to uh Patrick Gleason at the New York comic convention, he made a comment on how just like an off head comment about how like, you know, she she was a throwaway character who's really starting to, you know, get used. I don't know, I mean like I guess maybe they only just came up with her just so that they could demonstrate how somebody gets entered into the star sapphire core
1: oh she she's absolutely going to be like their main star sapphire but, i mean i know carol's in there now and everything i don't know it's like how when you think blue lanterns you think saint walker when i think violet
0: lanterns i think miri so do i but i don't think that was their goal
1: oh yeah i mean it could very well just be a happy accident but yeah I'm, I think it's awesome anyway. I,
0: I I think she's a great character. You got Carol, who is like a main contender for a Star Sapphire. And now you also got Fatality.
1: They got the classic slash cliche Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart female counterparts in there. But I think that's what makes me like Miri. Because she's, not only she's a new character to all this, but she stands on her own. She's not just the opposite number to any of the Green Lanterns. I mean, yeah, she had like, she and Kyle have this kind of truce or whatever, or mutual understanding by the end of this, but I don't get the feeling that they're setting up, oh, is, is she, are she and Kyle going to have some future together or any crap like
0: that? Oh, yeah, no, definitely not.
1: And that's why I like to see that kind of Green Lantern, Star Sapphire, love triangle, soap opera thing can get tired. So now we have a, a, star, a main Star Sapphire character who's just completely, at least for now, is just completely separate from that. For now, anyway. For now. And sh- she kicks ass.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's, uh, she is pretty kick-ass. Do we want to, uh, touch on Green Lantern Core 33? Um,
1: sure. Actually, before we do that, one other note I had down here was I liked the fact that they mentioned Kyle's exes, and how maybe he doesn't want to get close. Because the one problem you might have coming into the series is the fact that kyle rayner just up and leaves earth pretty much entirely like he lives on oa he doesn't you know i mean other than the war he hasn't been home he hasn't been to earth he's been in space 100 percent of the time and when miri is talking to him and nate and natu here he makes a point of saying that I don't know where it is, but he makes the p- point of saying something to the effect of, you know, when I love somebody, they die.
0: Yeah. He says, maybe that's because I'm tired of burying everyone I've ever loved.
1: And that right there, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's a blatant setup of, okay, he's about to find love somewhere else. But it also makes so much more sense of the fact that he's staying away from Earth. It's like he's tr- he wants to distance himself from that pain and from the potential of going through it again, and I completely forgot about this page until right now. One of the fa- my favorites, that baby that Amni saved a few issues ago. Yes, she just kind of put it in a bubble that had these gr- cool designs on it and sent it through space. <laughs> it went. It went to Salak, and he's just holding him, going like, "Oh, what the what the
0: crap do I do with you?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you're 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 like definitely gonna see that baby pop up in the future.
1: I really. Hope not. I don't even want to see this as like a main focus of anything. I would love it if just in the background, every now and then, you get some reference to the fact that Salak has had to like keep this kid and try and take care of him himself.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I think you will see that. That's right
1: when we see hundreds of rings flooding Oa. Because, like Amni Mate 2, they chose love over service.
0: You know, I guess that's actually something we should discuss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that significant weakening of the Green Lantern Corps yes, that, probably should come up.
0: That, that third law that they enacted. Has it only been three?
1: Yeah. That is one thing that surprised me, because I expected... How many are there supposed to be? Ten? I expected these to be a lot more rapid. I assumed they were all going to be enacted before the Blackest
0: Night began, but at this point, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it would have to be enacted by then. Okay, this is a lot of speculation.
1: Go for it, that's what we do. Yes,
0: going back to earlier where, you know, the prediction that Hal Jordan will go renegade. It may be that that will happen after Blackest Night. Like, maybe that's what comes out of Blackest Night. Like, Hal Jordan going renegade, striking off, you know, the Guardians are no longer needed, or whatever. Anything like that. Then, when you look at it from that point of view, then maybe them putting all these laws together, you know, they have seven laws to go. From now till Blackest Night, they'll probably come up with, you know, a couple more. They'll come up with the rest coming out of Blackest Night, and that's what's going to push Hal Jordan over the edge to go Renegade.
1: Maybe if you're right about the Lanterns figuring out how to gather their own willpower, maybe coming out of Blackest Night will have two different Green Lantern Corps. Maybe they'll still be the, I guess, the primary one that the Guardians run, but there will also be this, I I don't know if you want to say, like, independently operated... You kinda of, kind of liked just to draw a Marvel comparison, like how you had the New Avengers and the Mighty Avengers, and how like the Mighty Avengers were the official team that was with the government knowledge and the new Avengers were they were trying to do the same stuff, but they were kind of on the run at the same time, yeah. because they were they were illegal and stuff, like maybe the second core how is forming. The second Green Lantern Corps, Hal forms, will be that New Avengers equivalent, so to speak. And maybe subsequent laws passed by the Guardians are in reaction to that. Or maybe they'll realize Salak's a bad father and just outlaw him from adoption. That was a lot. Should we stop
0: there? Um, oh boy. Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll save the, uh... Was it the, the Daxam storyline for next time? Yeah. Emerald Eclipse. Yeah, we'll discuss that after that storyline's over.
1: Mongols back, bitches. Oh, one thing. One last point before we close out here. Uh-oh. Something I've been saying for a few months now is how I think Aresia is going to become a Violet Lantern. Okay. So I'm pointing you towards Green Lantern Corps 30. Go to the page... Where they're over Zamoran and guys putting on his shades and all that. Okay. Look at Aresia's aura in that panel, sure. where it's like it's it's just like form fitting to her body, but it's got these like streaming, spaghetti like tendrils coming out off of it. Right. If you flip through the issue some more towards the end, it's like it's the page where they see the Sinestro core women crystallized, or is it that one? No, it's 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 after that page.
0: I know, what you, I I know what you're getting at. Yeah, you see the um,
1: I almost want to call them the um honor guard equivalent for the Star Sapphires, because they're they're like protecting the queen, and whenever one of the Green Lanterns, you know, starts yelling, they flare up their energy, and the violet energy has that exact same look to it. So I think. Like, it might be a reach, but I think they're giving us, like, a A visual cue that that might be where she's going.
0: Okay, but the only thing, the only negative to that is that on, like, one of the last couple of pages, you see Sodom Yat next to Aresia and Scar, and he has that same kind of tendril-like energy also coming off of him. Uh, You know, not, not as flowery, but...
1: Who knows, maybe... Well... Can a guy get
0: into this core,
1: or do you think it all—it's all going to be women?
0: That I don't know, I, and I'm—I'm I'm hesitant to speculate on that, only because like there's such a precedent for it only being women. But it, it doesn't—it it almost doesn't make sense. Like, why would it only be women? You know, it—it it should be. You know, the way that the universe is set up, you're—you're you're at least going to have people out there that are, you know. Uh, hermaphrodite type species.
1: Not what I was thinking of, but okay.
0: <laughs> well, what were you thinking?
1: I I don't know. I was I was just thinking of like the logistics of like, are they supposed to be setting them up as like a a um like a female empowerment kind of group or? Because I mean I haven't gotten the impression that they're trying to make any kind of point that like like this is a job that women are specifically suited to do, like, as opposed to women or men or whoever we happen to find.
0: Unless they have some sort of justification that women are more capable of love than men.
1: Those two bodies they found that they keep in their battery now, that, like, that shining example of pure love right. is, I mean, I think it. I think at least, because skelet- they're skeletons, but I think it was a woman and a man. Yes. I don't know wouldn't it make, make sense if they were targeting both genders then?
0: Or yeah, it would, but and like what I was kind of thinking was you know, I have my well, not really my, like it's like everybody's now the white lantern theory.
1: Yeah, that thing.
0: The whole catch to that really for either Hal or Kyle or Sinestro or anybody becoming a white lantern is that you know, well, how do you take care of the Star Sapphire aspect? Aspect in that they're guys, so they couldn't just get a ring, you know, through natural means. And I, I well, I, I did have a thought about it. You know, it could be the kind of thing where, you know, maybe Hal at this point, and this is, you know, spoilers for, um, what are we? Spoilers for issue up to thirty-eight of Green Lantern, but. Hal Jordan has now had a yellow ring, a green ring, a red ring, and a blue ring. So he's just missing violet, orange, and indigo. Now, part of me is starting to think that maybe, like, that's it for him. And he actually won't get any more rings. And that he's going to have to team up with three other people for the other rings. So, like, it'll take four... But you know Hal Jordan will have the majority of the rings. That that was something that I was thinking because you know like a lot of people you know have mentioned how they would have an issue if Hal Jordan just collects all of the rings. And I mean like you know I could see him getting an orange ring. And I could you know, I could see him getting an indigo ring, maybe. But like the the sapphire ring, that's the one that you know.
1: Part of me thinks the only reason the sapphire rings go towards only women is it's more the choice of the queen. I mean, look at every other core. I mean, the the green rings search out anyone with great willpower who can overcome fear. Right. The And the same for all the others. So, logically, I mean any living creature is capable of love. So it makes no sense that the, the violet rings would only go to women unless there's someone who's sending them out is only letting them go to. Women.
0: So you think that either something's going to happen or, you know, the queen is just going to say okay, how Jordan gets a violet ring also.
1: I think that well for I think something major from the sins of the star sapphire storyline that I actually forgot to write down is that what makes the Violet Lanterns so dangerous they're, they're probably the most dangerous wild card we've got right now on the board because they really believe, not only do they believe they're justified in their actions they honestly believe that they're in full control of their power when they're, they're drawing from the far end of the emotional spectrum, like, Violet is just as corruptive as Red, it's just a different approach so I think the fact that the Zamorans, specifically the queen, believe that they're in complete control of this situation and of this power is ultimately what's going to screw them over. And so I, I, I absolutely think the Zamoran queen is going down. And I think that once that happens, the power structure of their core will change, and you'll see you'll see men and
0: your hermaphrodites <laughs> recruited <it> too. <laughs> That's an interesting theory. I like that. Yay. That's, uh, th- th- there's nothing I can come up with that's going to top that tonight, so.
1: I win the episode! You win the episode. Yeah, that's what makes them so dangerous. It's like, everybody, I mean, just the fact that the Violet Lanterns are the Star Sapphires and the Star Sapphire has existed in Green Lantern lore for almost forever, you kind of think, oh, whatever, We've this has been there forever, how dangerous could it be? So I think they're going to take fandom by surprise.
0: Yeah, and with the queen out of the way, then, you know, the rings can just go to, you know, whoever they seek out.
1: I would pay whatever cover price to see Mogo just making out with another planet. That would be awesome.
0: I don't necessarily know, though, that I want to see Hal Jordan in the Star Sapphire costume.
1: Yeah, they would have to vary it up a little
0: bit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okie doke.
1: Yeah, so Green Lantern Core, it's it's a title that has a history of going up and down and but it's been consistently up lately, so go check it out.
0: And even when it is down, it's still enjoyable.
1: So Okay. If if you want to email us, we are at what the hell are we, what's our show called? Or at lanterncast at gmail dot com. We have a forum at thecomicforums.com scroll down to lanterncast
0: we have a website lanterncast.com you can actually you can get to the forum from the website also true are we on itunes um no no now if you subscribe to iTunes if you subscribe to our show um you know a few weeks ago when you actually could subscribe to our show, then you will definitely get our show again through the feed. But we can't, you know, we the it won't appear to uh, anybody new listeners trying to search for us. Still trying to fix that. What
1: would happen if we just like like like? Could we get out of iTunes and then resubmit altogether? Or uh,
0: that's that's kind of what I have to do. All
1: right. So, we'll, we'll keep you updated with that.
0: So, any feedback, uh, emails, we love receiving your emails. If you want to leave a message for us, we don't have a voicemail line right now, but what you can do is, if you have a laptop with a built-in microphone, or if you have a microphone, just hook it up, you know, download some sort of recording software like Audacity, and record your message for us, save it as an MP3 file, and email it to us. And we will play yeah. that on the show.
1: Jim's cell phone number is six three one six Yeah. Ha 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 no. What, you don't like our fans? Come on.
0: Oh I, I like our fans. I just don't like talking on the phone. You're like,
1: I like our fans at a distance. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy.
0: Is there anything else? Um on the forums, I am Choinata.
1: I'm Gland. This is Dan. I'm Gland. He's Jim. He's Choinada. Yes. Um
0: Oh. You're um, you're also known as uh was it Banana Fun Man or something like that?
1: Yeah, I forget what member it was, but he's having some trouble hearing us and, and I made I made the promise that I'm getting a better microphone with better sound controls and that should happen, you know, within the week. So my friend is awesome. So, let's see if that improves things a little bit for you.
0: And it won't.
1: <laughs> um oh, before we before we forget. Uh contest update. Ooh. Well, first contest update, it is that yours is apparently dead in the water cuz Jeff Johns doesn't do podcasts.
0: <laughs> you know what? I just take that as it's a bigger challenge for our fans. <laughs> contest is still on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they'll that, that, that contest will outlast our show.
0: You realize that? Oh, um, and as long as we're on the topic, the other half of that part of the contest was the Alan Moore interview.
1: Not get an Alan Moore interview.
0: No, I did not get an Alan Moore interview, but there was a podcast, the Disinformation Podcast or something like that. They were able to get an Alan Moore interview. So, apparently, he does do interviews.
1: I'm going to have to look for this. This, ugh.
0: Holy crap.
1: All right. Wow, but, um.
0: Yeah, like I said, um, that contest is definitely still open. It's It's unlikely that he would want to do a Green Lantern podcast, but if you happen to see him or know of any way to contact him.
1: Okay, if you're in the grocery store and you just happen to spot Alan Moore, <laughs> you know. Just sitting in the milk case or something. Just Yeah, just
0: know. uh let him know about us and uh if we get an interview, you win a what is it, twenty five dollar gift certificate to in stock trades?
1: I think you wanted to give them fifty.
0: if if there's an Alan Moore interview in the mix, then yeah, I'll bump it up to fifty. I I will do that.
1: And if you do see Alan Moore, give him Jim's cell phone number, which is six three one six two I notice you don't cut me off at all when I go to do that. Yeah,
0: I figure I'll just edit it later.
1: Oh, uh, fine. Uh, yeah, and on the, our other contest, uh, I said this on the forum, I'm amending it slightly. The first and second prize winners will be those who we feel get, as we see it, the closest to the actual Black Lantern Oath. And the third prize winner will be the person who while they're not accurate to what the oath was, they gave us the most creative one. And the third prize winner is the one who will get the uh, JLU DC Animated Green Lantern toys. Yeah, you're not eligible. Don't! So, once again, what that is 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 you're going to try and come up with your own Black Lantern Oath before they come up with it themselves or before they debut it in a book. Uh, You're going to try and Try and think of it in terms of what they might actually use, and if you're if you are the closest, you will win your choice of either a DC Direct Killwog figure still in the box or an art print of the Green Lantern Corps by Adam Withers, co-artist of the Uniques. And second prize winner will get whichever of the two the first prize winner did not pick. <laughs> and well, I thought that was that's the only fair thing because. You know, whether or not an art print is more of a is a better prize than an action figure is completely subjective, so we just leave it up to the winner. Um
0: I just think it's funny that like we're ending the show and it's like taking like ten minutes just to wrap up.
1: Yeah, didn't you want to be in bed by midnight?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was the goal. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Well, we'll or we're we're done. Like, you know, just email don't post your submission on our forums because so won't anybody to steal it. Email it to lanterncast at gmail dot com, uh, and, and and get
0: your entry in soon because you never know when the Black Lantern Oath is going to be unveiled.
1: Yeah, we're as it is right now. Our cutoff for this for entries is the end of June because Blackest Night is slated to start in July. It might be a little later because of. You know delays. Like I don't think there's an issue coming out next month, um, or in a few months. I forget what it is. But um... actually, I think May won't have one. <laughs> but what? Whatever. Yeah. It, it could. It could be. It's. It's. Blackest Night is either going to start in July or after July. So right now, our tentative cutoff is June, the end of June.
0: So email those submissions in. Yeah. And that's it.
1: Let's get the hell out of here.
0: I'm Jim Ford. I'm Dan Kersky. And thanks for listening. Good night.